Well, good morning, and welcome to Grace Presbyterian. I'm Pastor Ryan. There's a tendency in our world today to easily give up when we're frustrated. And one of the rarest traits to find is someone who has the characteristic of perseverance. As Nehemiah nears the completion of the walls in Jerusalem, the opposition becomes more fierce. And we will see how he handles the difficulty of enduring the intimidation of his foes by relying on God's calling and strength and word. Thanks for listening. I got an email two days ago that just made me so upset. It's the kind of, uh, kind of issue that I've been dealing with since I was even nine years old. A, a difference between an ideology that comes from the world and one that comes from God's word. And I have amassed for myself education and resources and training on this subject. But i got to be honest with you, I'm tired of dealing with it. I'm tired of it. It makes me, want to, it makes me angry. Uh, there's very few things that cause me to take my fist and slam it on my desk. But this email made it happen. And that came right on the cusp here of me having to prepare a message for Sunday. So I'm recognizing I'm going to have to start preaching to myself here on this issue of frustration. This, this tired of dealing with circumstances. This stressing me out. Have you ever been there? You ever feel like that when you just, I'm going to lose it. I've had enough. And it seems like continuing on is just so much harder than just giving up. It's the phone call that keeps coming that you keep ignoring, right? It's the uh, conversation with your spouse that you've had a hundred times. It's the living paycheck to paycheck, feeling like it's not worth it. It's the friend who can't take a hint. It's the reoccurrence of indwelling sin that's fighting for control. It's the constant drip of discouragement that haunts you and I with the words, just give up. It's not not be a a new feeling, a new information for the believer because uh, the follower of Jesus Christ must be well acquainted with the struggle of living in this world. What did Jesus promise? Do you remember what it was? In this world you will have? Yeah, how can we keep forgetting that? It's true. You're going to have trouble. A.W. Tozer, a prominent Christian author, wrote, It's doubtful whether God can truly bless a man until he has hurt him deeply. Many times God will use the circumstances and the frustrations of our life to soften our hearts such that we would find ourselves on our knees once again, but dependent not on our own ability, because you know that's where the frustration lies. We get discouraged because we have to face it, and we think it's up to us, and I'm tired of fighting the battle. But the battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord's. And that's the reminder that we need to know. That's the lesson for today, that... Uh, perseverance through the trial is done not by your effort or your will, but it's done by your surrender to God's will and to God's purpose. So I'm entitling this message this morning out of Nehemiah the, for the perseverance of the community. Maybe you feel like a stick that's ready to snap, right? Maybe you feel like that twig uh, that Lisa showed us and by yourself you can't go on. I want you to see uh, this morning, as we look into Nehemiah, how the unifying of the community around the work and the strength and the calling of God is one that will provide for us the ability to persevere through the hardships. Nehemiah chapter 6 and into chapter 7 this morning. I invite you to turn there with me. We're going to read through the chapters and then identify a couple of observations and three ways by which I want to challenge us all 
To learn to apply God's word into our lives. Nehemiah chapter 6. Page 757 in the Pew Bibles. Here we go, verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it. Though up to that time I had not yet set the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave the same answer. Then the fifth time Sanbel had sent his aide to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter. Everybody kind of understands that, right? An unsealed letter. Sealed letter is where you want to, you know, make it private. What, what's an unsealed letter for? Oh, well, if you happen to read it, yeah. So you can see the, you can see the deviousness here. Sorry, I shouldn't preach this. Let's keep reading. All right. Uh, unsealed letter in which was written, it's reported among the nations. And Geshem says, it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore, you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and have appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let's confer together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not get completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shehemiah, son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was shut up in, at his home. He said... Come, let's meet at the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He'd been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name and discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul. In 52 days, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God.
Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah, and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them, for many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah of, the, uh, of Era, and his son Jehoan, and married the daughter of Meshuzalem, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds, and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, and the gatekeepers and the singers, the Levites were appointed, I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. We're going to pause there with our reading. There's a little bit more that travels on here in chapter 7 where uh, Nehemiah recognizes how he wants to organize the people. And then the rest of chapter 7 is really a repetition of the list of those who had come back uh, to Jerusalem and to to God's, uh, as God's people. It's a list that's repeated out of Ezra. And the story recounts here, as thankfully does in the word of God, all of those who contributed and the work that they had done. Did did you see the story? Did you recognize what poor Nehemiah had to face? Have you seen it kind of week after week, how this continues to be something that shows up in the life of one wanting to serve the Lord? Wanting to do the will of God? The Apostle Paul is going to write to uh, the young Timothy that anyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. That's a promise given from Scripture. And here we see it played out in real time for Nehemiah. That as he continues to go after the work of taking care of the the calling that God has placed upon his heart, time after time he receives opposition. How long would you last? Uh, When would you give up? I think the point when they're trying to kill me is where I would seriously start to uh, get nervous, right? Uh, There are three different levels here of intimidation that show up, of opposition that they have to face. And the the first one here is opposition by irritation. Uh, It comes in the first four verses. Uh, This is when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, they hear that the wall's gone up. What do they start doing? They start sending emails, right? Except they didn't have emails back then, but they're, they're sending these letters four times, these letters. Hey, we need to talk. And the goal here isn't that there would be some type of a, of a conference where they would cooperate together and come to terms, but rather where they could scheme. Did you see that in the text? They're coming to scheme at the end of verse 2. And the purpose of the scheming was to harm. It was to harm them. I want us to look here in verse 3 at the response of Nehemiah and how he handles this irritation. He does so by persevering through trusting God in God's work. This isn't Nehemiah's work. This was God's work. This is what God had called Nehemiah to do. And Nehemiah trusting by faith all the way back in Persia has trusted in God. And so when it gets hard here, he doesn't stop trusting because he remembers this is not his work. This is God's work. We can't miss this because the the text does not go on to say that Nehemiah was the one Who's receiving the honor and the glory? The text does not go on to say that the the walls were rebuilt because of Nehemiah, but rather because of God. 
the way this plays out in your life and in mine is to recognize that when we face opposition in this world, we need to make sure that we're on the side of God's work and not our own. Perseverance is called out and shown to Nehemiah because he says, I am carrying on a great project. Now, now what about this is great? Why, why does he use that adjective to describe his work? It's a great pro- it's a project, but he calls it a great project. I would submit to you that there's really nothing great about stacking stones up, because that's what they were doing, right? Rebuilding the wall, was, that's not really a, a great work. There's nothing really great about swinging a hammer. It's just swinging a hammer. Setting up bars in place and hanging doors on their hinges. There's nothing really great about that at all, but rather... What makes a work great is a dedication to God's work, to God's promises. It's a dedication to God's people that makes Nehemiah's work great. Yesterday, uh, there were four ladies in here uh, scrubbing the pew that you are sitting in right now. And uh, we were working on getting the, the air at uh, the right temperature, comfortable, and we put a little music on because, you know, that's what we do. But there was still something missing. Because if all we're doing is scrubbing pews, there's nothing great about that. So we gathered right here at the middle and we all linked hands together. And we pledged the work of our hands to the service of God. Because now it's great. Now working with a sponge and a bucket becomes something far different than a labor and a job or a task now it becomes part of a calling to which God is going to use you and use me to be able to be committed to his promise, to his word, and to his people. That's why Nehemiah can stand confident and persevere through the opposition. You Look at his re- response again in verse 3. I am carrying on a great project and can't go down. Why should the work stop? It wasn't his job. It wasn't his task. It wasn't his work. It was the work of God. That's the first thing that I want you to see. Uh, The way that you persevere through opposition of irritation is by making sure that you're on the side of God's will and God's work. If you're not, uh, well, I encourage you to change where you're standing. If all you and I are doing is carrying on our will and our work, you're rightly going to be discouraged to quit, to give up. You will not persevere. But if rather you understand that the work of your hands... The words of your lips, the task to which you endeavor Monday through Sunday is one that is done in commitment and service to God and His work, a dedication to His will and His people. You have nothing to fear, and you can persevere. Verse 5 brings us into the second area of opposition. It's now opposition by accusation. Uh, I want you to see how uh, Sanballat now gets a little personal. In verse 6, he says it's reported among the nations. And Geshem says it's true. <laughs> that you. Do you, see, do, you see, do you see the finger pointing right at Nehemiah? That you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. Therefore, you're building well. Moreover, according to these reports, you. There it is again. Hey man, quit quit calling me up. Quit naming my name. What do you what do you what did I do to you? Quit attacking me. I don't know how you respond. That's kind of how I feel. If somebody started to throw my name into the conversation, I'd be like, 
What, what do I got to do with this situation? I might start to defend myself. I might start to come up with all the reasons why you're wrong and this has nothing to do with what's true. Let me set the record straight. And Nehemiah doesn't say any of those things. Very simply, he says, nothing about what you're writing is happening. You're making it up. That's the end of it. Oh, I would have had a few choice paragraphs to give uh, following that little comment by him, but that's all he says. Because perseverance, secondly, when you're being accused, is not found in defense. It's found in trusting in God's strength. When we think that we have to defend ourselves, we are relying on our own ability. But remember, the battle is not yours. If, in fact, you are serving the Lord, wherever that is, First of all, I want to make sure I get something clear. I don't want you to confuse service with the Lord as something that has to happen in this building. All right? Just because you're signed up in the bulletin or signed up to uh, serve somewhere uh, doesn't... I get that is serving the Lord. I should be serving the Lord. But that doesn't exclude the rest of you who aren't signed up. That when you leave this place, the work that you find yourself doing is still not service to the Lord. God wants his children out in the marketplace. God wants his children out in the business world, in politics. God is calling you to be involved in bringing his kingdom here on earth and not hiding away in a church building. I mean, we serve God here because we serve one another. I want you to understand that as you go about your task, make sure that you have dedicated your life to God. I encourage you to start every morning as I sit on the edge of my bed. I sit there and I say, Lord, I give you this day and I give you my life. Have your will in my life today. I encourage you to do the same no matter where you find your paycheck coming from doesn't have to happen within the church. Wherever you serve him, make sure you are serving according to his will, doing his work. But when you start to receive accusations, when the trouble that Jesus promised shows up, it's futile to defend yourself. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Instead, I encourage you to do what Nehemiah does. Look here with me down in verse 9 at the end. But I prayed... Now strengthen my hands. Do you think Nehemiah felt the fear? Do you think he did? He wouldn't have prayed this if he didn't. Do you think Nehemiah felt like, I don't know if I could go on. Do you think Nehemiah took his fist and slammed it down on the desk? I bet he did. I bet he was sick of it. I bet he was tired of dealing with this. But rather than scheme on his own or defend himself, what he does is he humbles himself once again and he prays such that he would stand not on his own ability, but on whose? What's it say? Trusting God for his strength. God will strengthen you. And sometimes, you know what that means? And I hate to be the one to tell you this, but sometimes that means you've got to continue dealing with the rubbish. You've got to continue to deal with the opposition. Sometimes it doesn't end. But God's strength will be made perfect in our lives. Not when we show up all big-chested and look at us. But rather when we confess that we can't do it on our own. In weakness, we call on his name. Do you remember our reading when he gave us from Psalm 61? I shared that this week with Jack uh, by his bedside. I told him, this is what we're reading in church, and I want to share it with you because it says, from the ends of the earth, I, I call out to you, I cry on to you. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. What did the psalmist entreat God for? That the strength would not come from his own bones or muscles but that he would be led by God's strength. I wanted Jack to know that as he even now is suffering, approaching the end of his life. 
but that you and I would recognize by Nehemiah's example that when you face accusations, don't rely on your own ability. You need to persevere by trusting God. All right, let's look at the last one. Uh, this shows up here, uh, starting in verse 10. Uh, we've, we've got this one who's now going to try to intimidate Nehemiah by getting him to sin against God. It's opposition, opposition by intimidation. He says, let's go and meet in the house of God inside the temple. This word for temple gives reference to the most holy place. Hey, Nehemiah's not allowed there. God said, you're not to go there. This fellow is saying, they're going to kill you. You you better go hide. You, You know where? I know where you could go. They'll never look for you there. Go into the temple and shut the doors and you'll be safe there. No one will come after you there. They're coming. They're coming. You could imagine Nehemiah. Seriously? They're coming to kill me? Maybe I, maybe I should. I mean, I've I got a family. i got kids. I, got, I mean, i got people that depend on me. Where could I go? Where could I? You, could, you could see how his fear would begin to take over control of his decisions. And that he may be prompted to do the wrong thing for the right reason. To preserve his life, to continue on the work. I'm going to go and I'm going to break God's law. I'm going to do the opposite of what God said. They knew this was a scheme. They were trying to intimidate him once again. Because do you see the result of what would have happened? Look in verse 13. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name. And they would discredit me. This was a genius move by the opposition. Very, very smart. Let's threaten his life so that we get him to sin against God. And when he does, we're going to point it out for everybody to see. Ah, Nehemiah, your leader, that sinner. Yeah, I I heard what he did. He went into the temple. Can't believe you idiots. Follow him. What a a traitor. What What an offender of God's law. And what would the people have done? The people who had put their efforts behind the work that Nehemiah was spearheading. Yeah, I, I don't know about Nehemiah anymore. And, and soon this party over here would leave. And then that one over there would start to gossip and get with this one. And pretty soon, what would the work do? It would dissipate and it would crumble and it would end. Because Nehemiah's reputation, that reputation that we've looked at many times, it carries with it the name of God's reputation. It would have been marred because Nehemiah chose to do the wrong thing for the right reason. So what do we do? We persevere by trusting God in his promise. Nehemiah says it would be a sin. And that's enough for him not to do it. I'm not going to break God's promise. I'm not going to break God's laws. I'm, I'm going to follow with what God said. And you know what? If that costs me my life, it costs me my life. Because I'm not going to fear man I'm going to fear God. I'm not going to fear the threats of these guys, these opponents. I'm going to fear God. And so you and I, we persevere by trusting in God's word, by trusting in God's promises, by not allowing ourselves to be motivated by fear of men or fear of circumstances, but rather a fear of the Lord. We're, we're going to come back to the very end of the chapter here in a minute, but I'd like to identify for you just three ways now that you and I can learn to apply this into our lives. The first is this. I just want to share with you, follow after God's will. 
That's what you need to do today. You need to be following after God's will. Nehemiah knew that the work that he was doing was a great work. He knew it because it was God's work. How about you? Is your life right now being patterned after a desire to follow after God's will? If it's not, I'd like to encourage you, let today be that day. Let today be the day that you decide, I'm going to stop doing what I want to do. I'm going to stop being the one who's in charge of this life. I'm going to let God have his way, have his will in my life. Because when you follow after God's will, you have nothing to fear. It's God's work. It's a great work. You can be confident of that. The writer of the book of Hebrews has this to say to the church. uh, So don't throw away your confidence. It'll be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who believe, meaning those who express faith in God and are saved. That's who Nehemiah was. He didn't give up. He didn't quit. He kept his confidence in God because he knew he was following after God's will. And so my question to you is, are you following after God's will? What is God's will right now for your life? Because it's, it's different in a lot of our circumstances. Ultimately, it's the same in that God's will for each of us is our holiness, to become more in conformity to the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. But what does that mean for you Monday morning? You want to be found on the right side of God's will. Secondly is this, call on His name. Call on His name. Don't, don't, don't attack back. Not eye for an eye. Certainly not that. Don't defend yourself. Don't come up with all the reasons why you are so worthy and why they're wrong. Call on his name. Just call on his name. I know it almost sounds a little bit trite. Almost a little Sunday schoolish, right? Just call on Jesus. That's it. That, that's not just applicable for children. That's us. Every adult here does not need to rely on our own ability. You need to rely on God's ability. And Nehemiah did the same thing. Remember what he said? Sam Ballad said, you are doing this and you're wanting to do this. And and scheming all about what Nehemiah was not intending to do. And Nehemiah says, Lord, strengthen my hands. He calls on the name of God. This is what Jesus says. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body. But cannot kill the soul. Don't be afraid of them. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's God alone. God alone can take uh, the, the wrath that is due upon mankind because of its sin and find destruction is wrought to all. But see, humans only kill the body. They can't touch the soul. Jesus is saying, don't fear them. You have nothing to fear about the threats that they make, the accusations that they make. He continues, verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? That means worthless. They're worthless. And yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. Did you catch that? Because I don't want you to miss that. God cares when a sparrow falls to the ground. When we're driving down M95 and that bird flies right across your windshield. Anyone ever had that happen? Just the other day that happened. Well, 
That don't matter. Head on down the road. Not to God. Not to God. That matters. That matters. That's what Jesus says. But even when a sparrow, which is worthless, good thing it didn't crack my windshield, then I would have really ruined my day. I would have cared then, but you know what? God cares even upon the death of that which is worthless in our eyes. In the Father's care, verse 30, and even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Don't let fear of man control you to make your decisions based upon what others think. Rather, I encourage you today, call on the name of Jesus. Ask him to strengthen your hands. Lastly is this. Trust God's purposes. Trust in God's purposes. At the end of the story here, you had where this one is coming to say, hey, they're coming to kill you. You better go. And Nehemiah, he knew that he would rather fear God than fear men. And trust that God is going to be the one to handle these people. God will be the one. And so he prays at the end, verse 14, remember Tobiah and Sanballat. Remember them, O God, because of what they have done. And the other prophetess and prophets who've been trying to intimidate me. He trusts in God's purposes. The writer of the book of Proverbs tells us a verse that I know you know this one, but it's one that we need to hear again today. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Submit to him. And he will make your paths straight. Trust in God's purposes. The last thing I want to share with you here as we close is... Sadly, uh, bad news. Uh, From verse 15 down to verse 19, as the chapter comes to a close, uh, you have once more intimidation and opposition showing up. Look at verse 15, because it's good news. It starts with good news. What's it say? So the wall was completed. Is Is that not awesome? It was completed. The work is done. It's fantastic. God was faithful to us. And and all the nations, they lose their confidence, right? And you think, now it's over. Oh, it's over. I'm done with this hassle of dealing with these people. I'm done with it. It's very likely that in your life, you will continually have some form of trouble until Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, returns to this earth and sets all things right. You're likely to still struggle. And so i got to say, look at verse 19. As these letters continue to go back and forth to Tobiah, he says at the very end, Tobiah sent the letters to intimidate me. This is why I want to share with you the, the verse that was also our reading of the day in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. Church, don't become weary. You're going to be frustrated. I promise you're going to be frustrated. We, we were trying to uh, spray the outside of the church and clean all the vinyl and discovered this dripping sound. So I went down in the crawl space and guess what? We burst a pipe. Water sprang everywhere. I ran as fast as I could through that four foot high crawl space uh, to go and turn off the water. Man. Well, you guys were here, right? Some of you, was that not exhausting? We're, here we are trying to do a good work, trying to do the will of God, and trouble showing up once. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm driving home. Trouble and opposition, they're going to keep showing up. And just because they do doesn't mean you and I give up. 
ultimately, and I want you to see, because I put this in your sermon notes three times, that it's found by trusting in God. Did you see that? Persevere by trusting God in his work, in his strength, and in his purposes. Trust in God. Let's not become weary in doing good. At the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. My prayer for us is that your name, uh, my name, they would be found as we looked in verse 7. Hananiah and Hanani, uh, the brother in Nehemiah. Uh, do you see why they got put in charge? Do you see what was recorded about them? Look as we conclude here, verse 2 at the end. It says, he was made the commander of the citadel because he was a man of integrity. And feared who? And feared God more than most men do. May that be said of you today. You don't respond with discouragement. That you don't give up because opposition continues to come your way. But that you and I, we persevere through it because we're on the side of God's will. Because we rely on His strength. And because we trust in His promises. Let's pray this morning.